Where'd you find this? Don't say anything incriminating. Craig's a narc. <laughs> and a scab. Oh, um, but, he's, he, but he's here and he's our recording artist. This is episode... He's our scab. Right. 107, Tony? Yep. Episode yep. 107. Yes. How about it? We have uh, Craig. I'm Tony. Ryan. Ryan's here. Waleed is filling in for Shane. Shane is in Minneapolis right now, or he's in St. Paul. Yeah, Shane is experiencing Midwest nice. I thought he was going to the Green Bay game. Uh, yeah, yeah he's but... Driving, he's driving from Minneapolis because it's like a four-hour drive oh. from there. Yeah, I was because I, I asked him. I'm like, "Are you flying into Chicago? Are we gonna hang?" And that turns out we're not. Yeah, which is weird because he could have. Like Minneapolis is still like three, four hours away from Green Bay, just like Chicago is. So, Chicago's more than three or four hours away from Green Bay, isn't it? Yeah. No, Green Bay yeah. is almost four hours. And I thought it was like six hours. No, no, it's six hours to the northern part of Wisconsin. Trust me, I go there. Two, two Look, times a year. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with you. I, I I believe that you know more than I do when it comes to that. When it comes to rural, I, I'm gonna take your advice. I'm a city boy. Plus, plus, I'm the master of geography, and all I do is look at roads and maps all day for my job. So, That's trust true. me, I know the I know the distances from cities to cities. Okay. It's true. When geographers need help, they call Ryan. That's um, that's fantastic. Wait, what do you do? What 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 is your job? I don't think I've ever asked that. I work at a logistics company, so I work with oh. trucks and airplanes and stuff like that all day. You know, that's what I do, right? Really? I work fight, in logistics. Fight, I've been, fight, I've, fight, I'm in an fight, internet. Fight, I've been in international fight. like logistics for like 15 years. I did air export, ocean export. I'm now a warehouse guy. Oh, really? Yeah, I work at Scan Global Logistics. Where you do? Uh, um... I'm a Geodis. Okay. Okay, uh, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna have this yeah. is a conversation for a later time. But I was like, I kind I kind of suspected you were in a similar field to me, but I never actually kind of followed up. And yeah, we'll 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 have some stories, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah, imports, exports, what have you. Um, <laughs> I'm more of I'm yeah I'm more of an an importer than an exporter. Dude, you know, dude, or, one or time man. one time this box came was the wrong box, like <laughs> unbelievable. Send that shit out. All right. Um, so 107, got a bunch of stuff to do, bunch of fun stuff. We're going to debut a segment today while Waleed is here. Uh, but let's get started with our recurring bit. So let's remember some stuff. Ryan, take it away. So this week, like, so what was it? Saturday, uh, me and Tony are like texting back and forth about the Iowa game. And <laughs> you don't know, like th this year, like Iowa games have statistically hit the under, like, every game and last last saturday was the like historical like lowest point total ever it was 24 and a half yeah i bet the i bet the under and i would have win and still hit it because they won 22 to nothing <laughs> <laughs> against rutgers it was awesome so me and tony are like oh hey you know every five minutes another punt what do you know like another punt <laughs> That that has to be the most excited you've ever been for punting in a football game. <laughs> <laughs> wait till Always. wait till how excited you get about this game. All right, because we're te texting back and forth, and I'm like, we're at like ten punts, then eleven. I think there was twelve to fourteen total punts the whole game, right? Okay. So just for shits, I started looking up crazy stats about like college football. So this week, 
I am not remembering a guy, but I am remembering a game. All right. Yes. November 11th, 1939. All right. It was a game played in Shreveport, Louisiana, between the Texas Tech Red Raiders and the Centenary Gentlemen. I have no <laughs> idea who they are. The, the fighting, the fighting gentlemen. <laughs> They're based in, they must be based in Shreveport because Texas Tech is obviously based in Texas. Yeah. Um, oh. So just to give you an insight, there was like horrible winds that day. There was like over almost like three inches of rain that day, like throughout the 18 to 24 hour day, day period. So okay. the conditions for this game were super shitty. Right. And so the teams went into this, this game thinking, take it. Okay. Let me set the president too. This is 1939 when like teams were averaging like only maybe two to 250 yards of offense a game versus like 400, you know, nowadays. Right. right. So a lot of the games back then were, you know, one like 10 to seven or 10 to three or they weren't very high scoring. They'd be, their over-unders would be like, you know, the Iowa game we were just talking about would be like 22 and a half or something like that. So for some reason, the first couple of drives for these teams, they, these teams couldn't get like anything going at all. In fact, there was only like 30 yards of offense in this entire game. Right. So what the teams essentially tried to do and test out was a strategy where you just punt the ball every time to get field <laughs> position, right? So, so with the traditional offense ineffective at best and dangerous at worst, there were a lot of injuries, turnovers. The best option for gaining field position was to boot the ball downfield and hope the returner either muffs the punt or fumbles the ball on the return. Regardless, <laughs> regardless of like a... Uh, you know, a means to like test this out. Like nothing had been done like this before. Um, both teams decided to go all in on the strategy, oh punting a combined punting a combined total of seventy-seven times. What? <laughs> no, yeah. that number is 70, not real. Seventy-seven times not Wally, real. Wally, and get this: sixty-seven of those punts were on first down. <laughs> that, that's oh, real God. is there nfl um, films of this game like was it was like even invented at this well point? this was remember remember wally this was a college game not an nfl yeah. game oh. um so and during one stretch in the second half i i told a number to tony when i was telling him about this uh earlier in the week and i i said 19 but i was wrong there were 22 punts in a row at one point 22 punts back and forth consecutive in a row in the second half. Jesus. God. If I had known this, I, like, I'm almost like mad because I, I feel like I'm going to kill it with mine, but you definitely should have not gone before me because I can't follow this. <laughs> and, That's, and, um... and my guy's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> so of of the one, of the ones that were actually returned, 14 of them were fumbled and six of them were lost. So the strategy kind of kind of lends a way to look at. I mean, it could work. You know what? For a second, I got confused when you said fourteen were fumbled and like seven of them were lost. I was like, like they couldn't find the ball, or then I realized they lost the fumble. So 
So also get this. The game ended, yeah, like I said, with 30 yards of total offense. Um, and it ended as a zero zero tie. Of course it did. Love it. Yep. Um, so there were two field goal attempts in the game. All right. But like I said, these conditions made kicking near impossible. The centenary's gentleman had an attempt from the eleven yard line and missed. Nice. Oh, good God. And that's what the goalposts are on the goal yeah. line. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it would have been an 11 yard kick. And he missed <laughs> good God. Um, so Texas Tech actually lined up for an 18 yard uh, field goal, a game winner. Uh, and the kick only went 12 yards because the wind was blowing against <laughs> them so hard. Jesus. <laughs> and it stopped at the six yard line. <laughs> oh, oh wait. that means that guy can pick it up and return it back for a touchdown though right i'm not i'm not sure like this is before this is early college football oh my god that's amazing yeah 42 42 of the punts of the 77 were returned 19 went out of bounds 10 were drowned i don't know what that means <laughs> or sorry no i read it wrong it's down 10 were oh. down I mean, I mean uh, based on the conditions, <laughs> I, I, I could have accepted drown. Uh, four, four were blocked. One was fair caught. Only one of the 77 was fair caught. Oh, my God. That's and insane. one went into the end zone for a touchback. This game, actually, for being a 0-0 tie and having the most punts, actually, it holds the record for most NCAA records uh, in a game ever in college sports. Well, I'm guessing most punts. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is almost, right? you know, we're coming on 80, 90 years here. Most turnovers. Uh, so so individual, here's individual records. Most punts in a game, 36 by Charlie Calhoun from Texas Jeez. Tech. Uh, most punting yards in a game, Charlie Calhoun, Texas Tech. Take a guess of the, the amount of yards, punting yards. So he had 36 punts. 36, correct. I'm going to guess uh, 20 yards based on wind conditions. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going with about 960. No, hold 13, on, hold on. Let's see. Oh, 1318. Jesus. Good God. Um, most punt returns in a game uh, by sure. Texas Tech. Milton Hall. Guess how many punt returns he had? So 31 punts to Texas Tech. I'm going with 24. Close. Twenty-seven. Wow. No, twenty. All right, that's that's um, a career. And he, Your and streak he is still going, Tony. And <laughs> he also and he also holds the record for most combined punt and kickoff returns of twenty. Um, here's the team. Here's the team records. Uh, most punts by both teams in a game, seventy-seven. Most punts in a game. Uh, so this is a weird stat too because most punts in a game by Texas Tech. It said that Charlie Calhoun had 36, right? But they actually punted 39 times. So that means three of those times someone else punted. <laughs> mean like, come on! After 35, your legs getting tired. Yeah, give him a True. break. Uh, most punt returns in a game, Texas Tech with 22. Most punt returns by both teams. 42. Hold on, I want to go back to this because I think I know what actually happened. If I th if you think about it, they know the minute Calhoun's out there, it's a punt. So to try to trick them oh, with shit. another punt, you have yeah. to fake punts. The, yeah, that's yeah, what, the... that, that has to have been what happened. You have to line it up like you're faking and then actually punt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
fewest plays in a game, offensive plays, uh, Texas Tech with 12. Uh, fewest, <laughs> fewest, <laughs> fewest plays uh, allowed in a game, uh, 12 by yeah. the centenary gentleman. Uh, fewest plays by both teams, only 33. Jesus. Fewest, fewest yards gains by both teams, as I said before. And this was 30 offensive yards combined for both teams, not just oh Texas Tech. And then uh, the last record that they set was and still holds is fewest rushes by both teams, 28. That's this is wild. And this that is, is the that is oh. the epic hunt game from 1939. When the conditions were so bad that teams are like, we're just going to punt for field position. And there were 77 combined punts That is in that game. That is why this is my favorite segment ever. <laughs> <laughs> because I get to hear things like this. It's a fun one. That was a really That's, good one, Ryan. Well that done. was so good. Yes, thank you. Oh. Uh, Waleed, you're the guest. Do you want to go second or third? Um, I'll go. I'll go now. So, um, for my guy, I, did, I went with a very specific methodology. I know it was episode 107. So I asked myself, who was the 107th player inducted into the Football Hall of Fame? Oh, okay. Um, what I did is I reversed really? order. Now, technically, my methodology uh, is suspect because people are no. inducted as a class. <laughs> you know? Okay, well, sure. Okay. So, wait, Waleed, when did they start? induct when do they start inducting people into the hall of fame well you didn't write that down so it was the 60s yeah it was something like that Uh, yeah it was but it was like i just did a reverse order thing and i on pro football reference and i looked at who came up in the as the 107th guy like i didn't really care like that my methodology sucked because i landed on joe namath oh shit wait and joe namath like joe namath 107 he was 107. Technically, like, it was another guy. Uh, if this had been episode 106, we would be talking about O.J. Simpson right now. I just want oh, you to oh, know no. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Are you, though? I mean, Joe, Joe Namath's not as, as good as well, but oh, he's no, better than... Oh, uh, you know what? <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, because I'll tell you what. There was so much information. This is a two-parter. Uh, okay. One yeah. episode I come back later, I will talk about Joe Namath. Again, okay. because cool. there's so okay. much information. Uh, sure. like because like this is you gotta remember Joe Namath. This is when the Jets weren't like in a space of infinite sadness. <laughs> that is when right. Joe Namath was around. Everything after Joe Namath for the Jets, awful. Joseph William Namath was born in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, 30 miles northwest of Pittsburgh. His Hungarian-born grandfather, Andres. Andrew Nemeth came to Ellis Island on the steamer Pannonia in 1911, and he worked in the coal and steel industries of the greater Pittsburgh area because, of course, he did. Like, what else were you going to do in the early 1900s? Right. We're really getting into it. I can see why this is going to be a two-parter. Oh right. yeah, we're not. We're not even getting. All we're talking about is Joe Namath football. Next time we'll talk about Joe Namath post like NFL career because that's probably okay. longer. Like that's like more. I mean, I kind of wanted to get into kissing Susie Colbert because <laughs> because that's Y'all what remember I remember that. for. What did uh, he? What did he call her? He, what did he call her again? Too, I can't remember. He just. I, I don't he, know that he called her anything. He just really wanted to kiss her. I want to kiss you. Yeah. Oh, that's the team stinks. Yeah. The team stinks. Yeah. I want to kiss you. 
But, like, Joe Namath was, like, I mean, he's, like, one of the original divas, you know? Yeah. He was yeah, absolutely sure. fantastic. Uh, at Beaver Falls High School, Namath was a three-sport athlete. He was a quarterback in football, a guard in basketball, and an outfielder in baseball. This In an age where slam dunks were uncommon in basketball, Namath regularly dunked in games. Because My man. Of course he did. Hell yeah, how tall was How tall was Namath? Was he, like, 6'4"? He's like six. How tall was He was six, six two. two. Yeah. So, okay. No, he he was a crazy athlete. Uh, sure. he was also the only white starter on his high school basketball team. My man. In 1960, Namath's football team won the WPIAL Class AA State Championship with a nine and zero record in 1960. Okay. Oh, I said 1960 twice because okay. I didn't edit this. Uh, so after graduating high school, Namath received offers from the Yankees, Indians, Reds, Pirates, and Phillies. Holy crap. Yeah. Namath wanted to sign with the Pirates and play baseball with his like his idol, Roberto Clemente, but he decided to play football because his mother wanted him to get a college education. She apparently didn't care about the quality of that education because he went to the University of Alabama. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> right? Uh, but actually, he initially decided to go to the University of Maryland after being heavily recruited, but he was rejected because his college board scores were just below the school's requirements. So he went to Alabama. Coach Bear Bryant said... His grades? Like, his grades were His bad, grades or? weren't good enough. I think back uh, then that some schools actually cared about that. Right? <laughs> Right? Like, nowadays, Maryland would be like, yeah, no, you're Joe Namath. Get the fuck in here. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Co- Coach Bear Bryant said his decision to recruit Namath was the best coaching decision I ever made and called Namath the greatest athlete he ever coached. Uh, now, sure. a fun fact, he actually left college early and never graduated. He eventually <laughs> got a college He eventually got a college degree at the age of 64 after compete after completing an external program bachelor of arts degree in interdisciplinary studies at the University of Alabama in 2007. No, so he got no, his no, bachelor's thought, degree finally at the age of 64. Thought now, you were going to say DeVry. <laughs> <laughs> University of Phoenix. <laughs> Uh, at Alabama, Namath was 29-4 and four over three seasons and won a national championship in 1964. Namath was second-team All-SEC in 1962 and 63 and first-team All-SEC in 1964. Now, Namath was a, a first-round pick by both the NFL and AFL at the height of the NFL-AFL like competition, like right, when they were right. fighting for people. Right. Both dra- these these got the AFL and NFL were so petty they held their draft on the same day, November twenty eighth, nineteen sixty four. Nice. The St. Louis Cardinals drafted Namath twelfth, but the New York Jets selected him first overall. While meeting with the Cardinals, Namath told them he required a salary of two hundred thousand dollars and a new Lincoln Continental. Yeah, nice. The Cardinals the, told Lincoln, them, and that Lincoln Continental probably had like twelve ashtrays too. Oh, of course it did. <laughs> <laughs> he needs some. He needs somewhere to hold the cigars, right? Uh, so the Cardinals told him they would agree to his terms if he would sign before the Orange Bowl, which would have made him ineligible to play. So the day after winning the national championship in the Orange Bowl, name is signed with the Jets for four hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars over three years. A pro football record at the time. Oh yeah. So wow. and after appearing, uh, so then that summer, after appearing on a cover of Sports Illustrated in July, offensive tackle Sherman Plunkett dubbed Namath Broadway Joe. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And name this rookie year in 1965. The Jets were winless for their first six games while he was splitting time with their second-year quarterback, Mike Taliaferro. Okay. When Namath won okay. the full-time starting job for their last eight games, the Jets were five and three, and Namath was na- Namath was named the AFL Rookie of the Year. Nice. Namath was the first professional quarterback to throw for over four thousand yards. His four hundred and seven yard record was in the nineteen sixty seven season, and it was held until nineteen seventy nine when Dan Fouts broke broke his record with four thousand and eighty two yards. Wow. But Namath did it in fourteen games. Fouts needed 16. Wow. And get and guess what? The Bears still do not have a quarterback to ever throw for over yes. 4,000 yards. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Namath was the fourth or was the first. Justin Fields will be the last. <laughs> All right. I love to um, see it. So, I'll look. Yeah, I want to talk about Joe Namath's knee for a second. In, his four, in the fourth game of his final year at Alabama, Namath suffered a knee injury that would plague him forever. The cartilage damage was so bad in Namath's right knee, he, it designated him a Class 4F for the military draft, which basically meant he wasn't he didn't have to go serve in Vietnam. But it, but it yeah, never yeah. stopped him from playing like football. Like a medical, right. medical exemption or whatever. Yep. Uh, but he still kept playing football. Namath underwent four pioneering knee operations from Dr. James A. Nicholas. Four. His wow. knee was so bad that sometimes he had to have his knee drained at halftime just so he could finish a game. After Classic. football, he had knee replacement surgery on both of his knees. Namath was an AFL All-Star in 1965, 67, 68, and 69. In the 1968 AFL title game, Namath threw three touchdown passes to lead New York to a 27-23 victory over the defending AFL champion, Oakland Raiders. His 1968 season earned him the Hickok belt as the top professional athlete of the year. We're going to go on a little tangent here because I had never uh-huh. heard of the Hickok belt. I don't know if you guys have. Uh-uh. No. The S. Ray Hickok Professional Athlete of the Year award, known as the Hickok belt, was a trophy from 1950 to 1976 that used to be a very big deal. It was created by Ray and Ellen Hickok in honor of their father, Stephen Ray Hickok, who died unexpectedly in 1945, and who had founded the Hickok Manufacturing Company of Rochester, New York. This company made, you guessed it, belts. Yeah. The Hickok belt was an alligator skin belt with a solid gold buckle, an encrusted four-carat diamond, and 26 gem chips. It was valued at over $10,000 at the time. That would be $124,000 like in today's currency. Wow. Uh, another side note, in 2010, Tony Licchioni, the president of the Rochester Boxing Hall of Fame, announced plans to reinstate the Hickok belt starting in 2012, and he invited the 18 surviving belt winners, uh, except one, to the comeback dinner. The one member who wasn't invited, O.J. Simpson, because he was in jail at the time. <laughs> Second O.J. Simpson reference today. Oh, wow. I'm looking at that belt. This belt fucks. Yeah. Uh, I'm really? So, since being reestablished, uh, the belt still exists. And I think it is a travesty that nobody knows about it. It is based on a vote of a 20-member panel of the National Sports Media Association. And there's no like public award ceremonies or belt presentations. LeBron James and Patrick Mahomes have won this belt twice. Here's a list of some guys who have won it. I like This list kicks ass. Otto Graham. 
Willie yeah. Mays, Mickey Mantle, Ben Hogan, Arnold Palmer, uh, Roger Maris, Sandy Koufax, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, Pete Rose, and Joe Namath. Wow. The high point. Like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an award for the best athlete of the year. This should still be a thing. Yeah. Right. It, like, it's it's insane this? that it's not. Now, the high point of Joe Namath's career and, like, the legend, It's and this is a turning point of the NFL in general, was Super Bowl three. This was before the AFL-NFL merger. In the first two Super Bowls were the Packers blowing out their AFL opponent. At the time, nobody saw, thought the AFL could hang with the NFL. Sports writers from, like, NFL cities said it would take years for the AFL to catch up to the NFL. And they said that the 1968 Colts they were touted as the greatest football team in history. Former NFL star and Atlanta Falcons head coach Norm Van Brocklin ridiculed the AFL before the game, saying, I'll tell you what I think about Joe Namath on Sunday night after he's played in his first pro game. Ooh. Three, yeah, that's that's some that's some shit talk. Like oh, shit. they were salty there. Three days before the game, Namath was sick of addressing the ridicule, and he responded to a heckler at a sports banquet in Miami with the line. We're going to win the game. I guarantee it. My man. And oh, and shit. Namath backed it up. Like that's like Namath guaranteeing a win is up there with like Babe Ruth calling his shot, you know? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. that is that is an iconic sports moment. Yeah. And right. Namath backed it up. He went 17 for 28 for 206 yards, and he won the game 16 to 7 and was named a Super Bowl MVP. This made Namath the first quarterback to win a national championship a major professional league championship, and a Super Bowl. Granted, this was only the third Super Bowl ever, but the point stands. You know who didn't do that? Bart Starr. True. The guy in the first two Super Bowls. True. Do you think that's where uh, Men's Warehouse got their slogan from? You know, you like the way you look. Uh, I guarantee it. (laughs) Hey, I want to – Also, before you get too far away, I want to point out, I'm looking up the Hickok belt. Yeah. And not only do they give one out every year – but they also have monthly Hickok belt winners. Is that, and, I, I I didn't dig in too deeply into that, but like I, when I when I started doing the name of research and I got the Hickok belt, I was just like, "This is the coolest thing ever! Why would you not yeah. keep doing this?" Can I just point post, out? Uh, yeah, post some of this. Post some of this stuff in the Discord after the episode too. I I just yeah. want to point out that there are two notable Hickok monthly award winners that I wanted to point out. January of 2018, the Hickok Belt Award winner for that month was Nick Foles. Hell what? yeah! And was then that the uh, when he threw the seven touchdowns. No, it's when he won the Super Bowl. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And then in December of 2019, the monthly Hickok Award winner was Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> what? Damn so, right it was. so, anyways, uh, so Namath's victory gave the AFL instant legitimacy and went a long way towards pushing the NFL AFL merger through. When asked if the Indianapolis Colts were the toughest defense he had ever faced, Namath responded, "That would be the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills were the worst team in the AFL that year, but had intercepted Namath five times." Three of them oh were returned for touchdowns. Wow. That was their what? only win that season. Wow. Yeah, Matt Joe Shaw. Namath. Wow. Joe Namath kicks so much ass. Yeah. He's, so al- after- he's almost Matt Chubb. Because what was the record for Shaw? That was four. Six. Right? And it was yeah. Four. yeah, it was four. Four. <laughs> four, yeah. I mentioned yeah. that like a few episodes ago. Yeah, you did. I remember that game. After not missing a game in his first five seasons, 
Namath played in just 28 of his remaining 58 games between 1970 and 1974, and his career was a lot more erratic. Prior to the start of the 1975 season, the Chicago Winds of the World Football League tried to seduce Namath to their league. They offered him a contract worth $600,000 a year for three years, a $200 million annuity, $100,000 a year paid out for 20 years, and a half a million dollar signing bonus in terms for Namath's eventual ownership of a WFL franchise. The WFL's TV television provider, the TVS Television Network, insisted mm. on the win signing Namath to continue broadcasts. Upon learning this, Namath requested 15% of the elite, entire league's television <laughs> revenue to sign. And this, was rejected, and this was rejected by the league. Without a national television mm. deal, the WFL opted to fold a month later. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic, right? He's like, oh, if you need me that badly, I want to cut it out of media. Oh, we can't give you that. Okay, I'm going back to the NFL. All right, we're just going to quit now. <laughs> like, what a <laughs> terrible business model. Know how much your labor is worth, folks. Oh, Namath. I, I, like, d- doing this made me love Joe Namath so much. Sure. After, t- after 12 years with the Jets... Namath was waived in 1977, and he was signed with the Jet, uh, and uh, and he signed with the Rams. But 12 years of football was too much. After playing well and starting two and one, he eventually was benched and retired at the end of the season. So Joe Namath was a Super Bowl winner, a Super Bowl MVP, NFL Comeback Player of the Year, a Pro Bowler and Second Team All Pro in 1972, a George Hallis Award winner in 1969 the AFL MVP and AFL Championship MVP in 1968, the AFL Rookie of the Year, first-team All-AFL in 1968, a three-time second-team All-AFL, a four-time AFL All-Star, is on the AFL All-Time Team, the New York Jets' Ring of Honor, and is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Joe Namath, and that's just scratching the surface because Joe Namath did a whole bunch of stuff after football. But we'll get to that in another episode. Hell yeah, we'll have to bring you back to wrap that one up. That was really good. Yeah, yeah well, I right. loved it. All right, so my work's cut out for me here. I I got a lot to uh, I got a lot to live up to. So today I'm going to talk about a football player. But before I do, I want to point out that as of right now, it is 9 p.m. on Friday, November 17th, and Henry Kissinger is unfortunately still alive. How is this, what is going on? It's this is the worst day of my life. All right, so I've been saving this one for a rainy day, and and so we're gonna go back to football. But instead of what you think of when I say football, we're going to Australia. Oh, we're going soccer. We no, we're going Australian rules football. Ooh, that's, that's a thing. I thought I knew they yeah, had rugby, is. but they they play American football. It's closer to rugby. It's like a hybrid. Okay. So today we're going to talk about Ben Cousins, who is one of the most legendary wild men in a country filled with them. This story is actually like, it's interesting, but it's also really sad. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about like teams just allowing people to get away with doing whatever and the results of it. Ben Cousins is considered one of the 50 best Aussie footballers of all time, which is not surprising given his pedigree. His dad was also an Aussie Rules footballer, and he was a really good prospect in high school. 
When he was still playing in high school, there were three teams trying to get him to join their squads while he was still in high school using what is called the father-son rule, right? Which mm, in Australian okay. yeah, in Australian football, if your dad played on an Australian football team, they have exclusive like negotiating rights with you when you're still in high school. I kind okay. of dig that. Like Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that kind of like I mean it's not really a thing in hockey, but like if you're like 18 years old and you can, or 17 years old, you can get drafted by a hockey team. Right. Yeah. Like a minor league team. Yeah. Um, so he was born. So he goes to, God, what fuck? I can't remember the name of the team. Something that sounds made up. Wally Gaggers. Something like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so he was born in 78. And at the end of his first season, he was named the AFL's rising star in 1996. Now, for all you math fans in the crowd, you don't need me to tell you, but for everyone else, he was 18 when he won Rookie yeah. of the Year. Oh, wow. He's not just a phenom. He has, like, legitimate crossover potential. So by 98, he's already being called Australian football's Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. Talent agencies are trying to get him to sign to grow his brand. Like... He's incredible on the field, and he did a bunch of stuff that just sounds made up to me. So, so let's talk about let's talk about some shit. All right, in 1998, he was the runner-up on a team award that every team gives out to their guys called the Best and Fairest Award. Is that like the that's like the Mother Boy Award where you <laughs> award where you're like n- neither seen nor heard, right? That's the award. Like no, that's the it's more like a yeah. You you don't mind introducing this guy to your mother. Because like and, he's a good and dude. So hold on to that. Um so right around the turn of the millennium, his his life starts to get wild. In two thousand, he plays his one hundredth game and in two thousand one becomes co captain. That same year, a local police officer tells management on his team that Ben and a teammate were caught using recreational drugs. The team doesn't say or do anything about it. So let's talk there's red flag one. <laughs> uh speaking at the of the best and fairest award. At the banquet in 2002 for the award that he was winning that very night, because he won the best and fairest in 2002, he took a swing at teammate Daniel Kerr because Kerr was sleeping with Cousins' sister. Oh, shit. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And somehow this fight ends with Cousins breaking his arm. Oh, interesting. Ironically, Cousins also won the best and fairest award next year, too. (laughs) That's, that sounds like the most best and fairest way to end uh-huh. that. Well, if you take a swing yeah. at some guy, you break your own arm. That's certainly What fair. are the stipulations yeah. for the best and fairest award? I, you, it you made no what, sense. You get what you deserve. <laughs> um, Cousins is, is the team captain. award? It might be. Sure. Um, so Cousins is team captain from 2002 to 2006. His professional career peaks in 2005 when he won what I'm guessing is like the Australian football MVP award. And you guys, okay. his stats, you ready for some stat porn here? Insane. How many scrums? Dude, he had 11 behinds. What? Yeah. Dude, that's insane. Oh, wait. Hold your applause for the end. He led the league with 391 kicks. What All right. the hell? 221 handballs. And a previously unheard of 612 disposals. What? I know. He's taken out. This is starting to sound like cricket to me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What is a disposal? 
Uh, you know what? Maybe that's what we can do. Maybe during the off season, we can try to figure out some Australian football rules. I'll tell you, I, yeah. I'm here for, I want to learn that. And I want to learn cricket because both of those games like look like they kick ass. You just, Wally, you just, you just want to bet on cricket. That's why you want to <laughs> learn it. I want to <laughs> bet on everything. It doesn't mean I need to learn it. <laughs> All right. So in 2005, while he's winning and he's just disposing left and right, it's funny okay. that he and a teammate are also being investigated by for by the government for ties with underworld goons who had murdered people at a nightclub, like gangs. Uh huh. So like apparently like these shit. yeah. So these guys had apparently been in contact with cousins and a teammate earlier that day. The two teammates refused to cooperate with police, and for some reason that was just okay. And he won MVP. So, <laughs> uh, I think we're at red flag three. The more crimes he commits, the more awards he gets. Right. You ready for you ready for this quote from a team executive? Okay. Yeah. Quote: We are prepared to give them more than one chance. In this case, it's maybe their last chance. They have had chances before. They have had opportunities before, and they've made mistakes before. It gets to the point where those mistakes can't be tolerated any longer. This hurts us. It hurts our brand. It hurts our image. End quote. Okay. I mean, he keeps playing for him, but like, whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in 2006, his substance abuse hits the next level. And, and like, at this point, nobody's helped this guy, right? Um, as long as he keeps it up with the disposals. So he was doing more than just like drinking. He was doing like crazy shit. We'll get there. So, I mean, okay. I, I assume if you're hanging out with mob guys, you're doing crazy shit. True. So in 2006, he gets out of his car. They're they're driving down the highway, and he sees a highway DUI checkpoint. So he just parks his car in the middle of the street and jumps out of the car and takes off on foot. Um, him and a friend get out of the car and just run away, and they leave his girlfriend in the car. Um, wow. Classic. His friend gets caught, but Cousins escapes by jumping into the river and swimming to the other side to get away. I mean, that's Hell that's yeah. what happens when you're the best athlete. That's right. Um, so he was he finally this is the first, the first like repercussion here, and he resigns his captaincy after this. Okay. Um he then gets arrested not long after for passing out drunk in front of a casino, which like we've all been there, right? I but mean, that's that's the place you're supposed to pass out drunk in front of. Yeah, if, like, right. if it was a church, yeah. that would be a little bit more troubling. Right. <laughs> so then, uh, how do you think the team handled this, guys? Oh, uh, they gave him back his they, captaincy. They gave, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And they, they gave him another him. award. Um, yeah. No, they decided, though, that he shouldn't be uh, punished at all because being made fun of in the media was punishment enough. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um. I'm so, getting Jim Harbaugh vibes here now. <laughs> uh huh. So he's America's sweetheart. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, Australia's sweetheart. Australia's yeah, sweetheart. Well, well, there, we got an American uh, reference in here in a little bit. Um, the team eventually forces him to go to rehab, and they eventually suspend him because he stopped showing up to meetings. And so this is kind of where the downward spiral hits. What seems like the team looking out for one of their dudes and sending him to rehab was actually the way that they covered up a suspension for a failed drug test. Because oh shit, shocking! Oh my god! Like as bad as he is, 
I'm way more annoyed with the team because, like, he's an 18-year-old kid. And if you did something, like, if you handled things a little bit better, maybe you help him from, like, not spiraling. Right. So he goes to live-in rehab in 2007, which, by the way, he was born in 78. So, like, oh so he's not even 30 yet. Um, so when he comes out of rehab, there's, like, cameras. He's, like, a hero, right? And that's uh, March, I believe. He, he After that, he gets uh, arrested in October with meth, cocaine, Viagra, oxycodone, and diazepam in his car. Whew. Oh, my God. Jesus. He didn't want to pass out in front, in a, in front of a casino. Yeah, no shit, right? Um, he, the, he finally, right here, finally gets kicked off his team. Uh, so f- after all of this, he goes to America for rehab, ends up ditching out on treatment, going on a bender in L.A. instead. After a couple years of bouncing in and out of mandatory rehab, he makes a documentary about his life, which was titled Such Is Life, which are actually, he has, a, he has that tattooed on his on his body, um, that phrase. And those are actually the famous last words of Australian badass Ned Kelly. I'm, I'm sure we don't have too many Australian history buffs on, you know, listening no. right now. But imagine like a bunch of like wild west people from australia those were the bush rangers and ned kelly was like the number one he's like the robin hood meets the wild west okay yeah dude he had his final like shootout with cops while he and his dudes were like wasted it's pretty fucking awesome oh yeah all right so back to ben cousins he ends up having a kid he bounces in and out of rehab and uh gets busted at an airport for trying to get on a plane with 13 grams of methamphetamine in his ass course that was for lemmy you know let me have a tour in australia <laughs> um so in march 2015 he's arrested three times in two weeks which featured both a low speed and high speed car chase uh the first one was a low speed the, the last one was a high speed car chase um, through school zone it was like school zone right he's very chris olave about it um yeah in 2016, he had a warrant out for his arrest because he skipped out on his trial for a previous meth conviction. And the next day, he got in a car accident while high on meth. Um, he survived escape of minor injuries, but just interesting to see. It's one of those things where could they have helped him? Um, this part we can all laugh at because presumably he's sober. He ends up getting a year in jail for all of this madness, and at some point in that year, he gets his ass beat by another inmate because he borrowed that inmate's cup for tea and didn't return it. What an asshole. <laughs> this is where I draw the I mean, line. He's, he's lucky that he didn't get chips. Like, prison rules, you don't fuck around. Right. Tea is very serious. Um, yeah. He is actually... He had one um, parole violation or probation violation since 2018 but he's actually stayed relatively clean over the last few years so in 2023 ben cousins is a free man hopefully sober and he works as a sports broadcaster for an australian news station oh hell yeah i was really worried that he was going to end up dead like the longer this is going on i'm like there's no way this guy's going to survive this i was expecting this with like his death within the last five years or something so like yeah. I li- I like it when uh, podcasts don't make me miserable. So I, I yeah. tried to find a good one there, and so that is the story of Ben Cousins. Great story, Tony. I love it. Yeah, this this every every all of these kicked ass. I think so. Yeah, three home runs. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed it. Um, so we're gonna take a break. We're gonna hop into the lab, and we are gonna have all star 
DFS lineup coming to you on the other side. So we'll see you in a few. And goodbye. back 100% flawless victory um just like this super flex lineup by the way y'all it's this i love doing this this is so much fun um i like it we have stafford and we're pairing him with puka we've got dobbs paired with hawkinson our running backs are cmc and devon achan we also have rondale moore to kind of save us a little bit of money and our flex is tony pollard how about it? This yeah. one's cashing. I feel it. I feel it. Yeah. I love it. It's something that I would enter in larger scale tournaments if I sure. could, because I think we have we have some safe floors and we have some absolute boom potential. We could get five touchdowns out of our running back room. Right. Just saying. Could, with HN, we could get seven touchdowns out of that running back room. I'm, 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 I'm call, I might be my millionaire bet this week might be McCaffrey two touchdowns. We'll see. I love to hear it. Let's so let's move on to our one of our most heralded segments. We are going to go with Lions mid tier kind of shitty tight end of the week. The week of the week. All right, guys. Not you know, I won't toot my own horn, but I will because like you know, <laughs> Trey McBride basically had his career game last week, and I called him as my. Kind of mid-tier shitty tight end of the week. Ryan, you are absolutely 100% on a heater when it comes to the mid-tier tight ends of the week. For the last month, you've been on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So this week, you know what, guys? Oh, and by the way, Trey McBride is now more expensive than... Evan Ingram and Dalton Kincaid. He's at 5,900. He was 5,100 last week. So he is no longer a mid-tier shitty kind to tight end of the week. All right? Uh, yeah. we, you're, you're putting him on the list made him no longer mid-tier shitty. That's like, right. I have a question for you, Ryan. Who got? would you rather have in Dynasty? Would you rather have Trey McBride or would you rather have Dalton Kincaid? Ooh. As of right now, probably Dalton Kincaid, just because I know Allen's going to be around there for a while. Who knows what's going to happen with Arizona's situation in the next few years. But as long as, you know, Kyler's playing. I, I think like that's reasonable. Pride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Drop some knowledge. All right, guys. So this week, you're all going to want to put Luke Musgrave in your lineups at 5,200. Oh. Ooh. At 5,200, going up against the poorest Chargers defense at home in Green Bay, I am calling Luke Musgrave for at least one touchdown and 55 yards. All right. Well, he had he had uh, he was targeted four times last last week, only caught two passes. But look at what happened to the Chargers last week. Uh, it was a shootout, and that's because both of those defenses sucked. Um, <laughs> Luke Musgrave. <laughs> At least good for one touchdown this week. All over it. Uh, as of right now, FanDuel has the Chargers as the 32nd ranked worst defense against the pass. All right. Luke Musgrave. All right. And since since we got Stafford back this week, secondary pivot at 5,000 
Tyler Higby. We all know that Higby uh, has some chemistry with Stafford, and uh, that could get you some t- stuff too. But my mid-tier kind of shitty tight end of the week, Luke Musgrave. All right, guys? I love it. Yeah. You know, well, Tony, I think you've already seen my uh, bets of the week. I, I don't know if Ryan has seen mine. But I love no, it too. I, I haven't. You know, I haven't looked. I haven't looked at the spreadsheet since this afternoon when I put a couple in. But I saw you put a couple in. Oh, uh, you want to know what Musgrave's uh, receiving line is? Because he's one of my top five bets of the week. Oh, it was. It wasn't up earlier. Like I was looking at like one, two o'clock. None of that. Well, I have a feeling you're gonna games. like. You remember yeah, how we wrote it? it? How we went ride or die with Dalton Schultz last week? I think you're ride yeah, or yeah. dying with me on your top five bets of the week this week. Musgrave's receiving line is 26 and a half right now. That's it. Oh my God. That's it. I'm going to, I'm going to go and do an <laughs> alternate like 40 or 50 yard line. Oh, when they, when they come up, dude, I'll tell you, like I, I'm still, yeah, well, there's a little gamble town spoiler. Uh, I got a couple other things on that. Like, and you guys can join us, uh, Saturday at noon. It's true. Oh, fantasy yeah. dream team. Gamble town. Right. Um, did they have the Did they have the receptions uh, for him up yet? Didn't look, I didn't look that closely. I just saw that line and I was like, "That's too low." I feel so much better about that bet now that you named him as a tight end, like a mid tier <laughs> city tight end, because of just how good you've been doing on these. Yep, dude, yep. he's gonna go off. He's gonna go off. Yeah, one of my top five bets of the week this week is Jaden Reed over thirty three and a half receiving. Yeah, so seems doable too. Yeah, yep. yeah. So Ryan, when, when you look at the spreadsheet, you're going to love my same game parlay. So okay. let's talk, Ryan. You came up with this idea a few weeks ago, and I think it's genius. This is going to be a new segment. Why don't you introduce it a little bit and tell us where, where it comes yeah. from? So just to preface this, like, was it? No, it was like two weeks ago when Houston had that crazy game against who was it? Or, the, or was it last week's Houston game? No, it was the, the Houston game from two weeks ago, right? Yeah, when that uh, I want to say the over under on that game was like forty one and a half, and it was a shootout, and both teams ended up scoring like seven points. So I'm trying to blank, went, and it was like the best game too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shit, what game was that? I should have wrote. Was it a, was it Atlanta? It might have been Atlanta. It might have been. Um, and like we were all thinking, like that would not be a great game because Atlanta's run defense was decent. And yeah. um, no one, no one thought that you know Stroud would set the rookie record with five touchdowns and shit like that. So I'm, I was thinking, like, what if we, you know, we talk about a lot of games, especially on Saturday with Gambletown. What if we try and look at some of these games that, you know, everyone's gonna have money on the classic games, but. Let's look at a, a game where maybe like only ten percent of like the money is being bet on. It was you know. Houston Bucks. Yeah, yep. that's what it yep. was. Houston Tampa. Yep. yep. Uh, what if we try and identify some of these games that you can bet overs on and just cash ridiculously because it it, it you know what I'm saying? Just it it's a gut call. Sure. Essentially, as as with most betting, you never know what's going to happen. But if we can key in on some things and try and identify some of these games, maybe we can make some money where others aren't. You know? Yeah. So why don't you tell us what's your shits to riches game of the week this week, Ryan? All right. 
<laughs> Funny you should mention that. Um, I'm going with the Houston Arizona game. All right, it's not it's not the lowest you know scoring uh, point total of the week. We all know right now that's the uh, Cleveland game. I think it was like thirty two and a half. Yep. Uh, someone tweeted or didn't tweet. Someone chatted uh, earlier that. It looks like an Iowa game. Yep. Um, I think this game right now is at, it's high. It's like 46, something like that. Arizona-Houston is the highest total of the week, 48 it's and not, a half. is it, for real? 48, 48 and, and a half. half. It was going to be mine, too, and like I think it was going to be Tony's, and we're all like, this, is, this point total is really high. So I think everyone's like, this game's going to kick ass. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, okay, I guess this isn't, Really, uh, you know what? Uh, it counts. It, Look, counts. it, it Show- absolutely counts. Look at the teams involved. The Cardinals are one of the worst teams in football record wise. Houston right. is just at scratching five hundred. Like it's not. It's not a premier team. But right. this game, like, look, it's, looks like it's going to kick so much ass. Yeah, yeah. And and Arizona's got Kyler back. He's shown some abilities with Hollywood and especially Trey McBride. Um, Stroud's got some stuff going. Do we know if Noah's Brown Noah Brown Noah he's out. out? He's out. All right. So that even bodes better because Tank Dell had one of his best games in that game too. Yep. Over 125 yards and two touchdowns, right? Dalton Schultz or, too against the Cardinals. Yeah, Dalton Schultz is like on his second coming. He looked like shit at the beginning of the season, but now he's like one of uh Stroud's favorite targets. I remember I remember looking at Schultz's numbers through like the first weeks and I'm like, what is this failed experiment that he's just trying to do? But he's he's done really well the last few weeks. And yep. both of these defenses uh are in the bottom tier of the league, which could bode for some really good passing. And like you said, it is the highest game right now in terms of point totals. So Vegas is all over it. But 48 and a half. I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm putting, the, I'm going to go bet the alternate line at 60 and a half. Jesus, let's go. Let's <laughs> My go. My man. Say it with 60 chest. and a half. Let's right? go. 34, 34 to 31, Houston wins this game. All right. Let's go. Let's go. I love it. All right. Waleed, what game have you identified as your shits to riches game of the week? So I got two of them. So if you have another one, I'm gonna. I, I would actually like to defer to you, but okay. I want to talk about this game first because Ryan got to talk about it a little bit, and I want to point out real quick. So C.J. Stroud right now is just setting the world on fire. Want to also point out, uh, I I don't know what right how Ryan ranked him, but I know Tony and I both had him as our favorite quarterbacks coming into this class. I think right. Um. Yeah. Because like. There was a whole like there was a lot of discussion in the summer about like who's the best quarterback versus who's the best fantasy quarterback. Yeah. And I think we all agreed that Stroud was the best quarterback while Richardson was the best fantasy asset. Yep. And honestly, I wasn't even yeah. willing to do that. The only reason I actually downgraded Stroud after the draft because I do not believe in the Houston Texans organization. The reason for that is I watch football. And yes. history True, says yeah. that it's, believing in them is wrong. But I'll tell you right now, Slowick, the JFC offensive South. coordinator for the offensive coordinator for the Texans, is on my short list of guys that I wouldn't mind the Bears like hiring next year because what he's done with Stroud, and if you look at what he's done too, they're using a lot of the same passing concepts that Stroud used at Ohio State. 
to make him successful. He is tailoring his offense to his quarterback strength. And Stroud kicked so much ass in college. So you got that over there in this game. Then on the other side of that, you look at Kyler Murray. Man, everyone act, thought that Kyler Murray was going to be like a little rusty, coming in slow. My man had a game-winning drive, and he was moving around like the Kyler Murray we all know and love. And yep. I am so excited to see that. I do not believe that Arizona wants to move on from Kyler Murray because, like, if you draft Caleb Williams with the number one pick, you're hoping you get Kyler Murray. Like, right. if you get no, Kyler right. Murray, he, that's a win. Why, like, he looked, why would you do he that? He looked boss. He looked boss last week. And, and that I'm was surprised. his first game back. Like, as he gets closer. Oh. Yeah, I'm surprised that, that the line right now has Arizona win at plus 210. I thought it would be way closer. Almost even, well, I think know? part of that is because Arizona's defense is missing a lot of horses, and the Texans are a team that looks like it's coming into its own. Uh, like both sure, of these teams sure. are really well coached, and like I was saying it, like in week two, I'm like Houston and Arizona. Like Tony and I were constantly in these conversations, and I noticed that the national media started picking up on a lot of what we were saying a couple of weeks later. These teams are a lot better than what we think than what they are being given credit for. Arizona's yep. bereft of talent, but they're coaching. Is like I'll tell you what I, I dogged the hire of uh what's the head coach Gannon. of Arizona Gannon mm. Gannon just looked goofy and dumb and you know what I'll admit to being wrong Gannon is doing a great job in Arizona that's a team on yep. the upswing and yep. like D'Amico Ryan's is also kicking so much ass I I, I think that like this game is going to be so much fun and I'm honestly I didn't think I could be excited to see where Arizona and Houston like evolve but there's always those teams that surprise us and i'm excited to see that it's these organizations that like right. no have known suffering so yeah and that's isn't, cool. it, isn't it great isn't it great too because what was it uh, if we were to go back five six weeks ago and we're looking at the schedule and we're like we're we're we're, we're definitely not looking at arizona and houston being the highest points total in, no, on this week, it would so be like, the lowest <laughs> yeah all right, so I'm going to do my shits to riches game here real quick. <clears throat> uh, I am going to go with Minnesota visiting Denver on Sunday night football. That was one of my two. That's why I was giving you the option. Really? I, I love this game. I think this game is, it might not be the highest scoring game of the week, but I think it's going to be a game that has a ton of quality fantasy implications. Um, I can see Ty Chandler being viable because of how bad Denver's rush defense is. Uh, I can see Cortland Sutton being viable because he's had touchdowns in four straight games. Minnesota is has one of the best third best or yeah, the third best pass matchup of the week, seventh best rush matchup of the week. I really I really think this game has a chance to be a banger. I think TJ Hawkinson and Josh Dobbs are in our lineup for a reason. And to be honest with you, you guys, if there's like if I feel like I, I'm gonna do well in the early slate. I might throw a couple bucks on another super flex lineup that's real heavy on this game. Yeah. So, okay. Waleed, who's your shits to riches game of the week? So, my shits to riches game of the week is the Chargers at Packers. And the Ooh. reason for that is because, very simply, uh, the Chargers can't stop the pass. And I think that the Packers are going to have to throw the ball. So, I just think this could end up being a lot of scoring. I don't think that the Packers will be good, but I think it, it could be one of those uh, – that 43-and-a-half line feels really low for me with this game. 
I also want to shout out that's yeah. where Shane is. Shane is not here this week because he's at that game and he will be there Sunday. So let's hope you're right and he gets to see a burner. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that could be a real right? fun game. Talking about that Minnesota Denver game too. Uh Denver last few weeks, low key, they've been really they've been a much better team. Mm-hmm. Um and I think and Minnesota, I mean, you know, after losing Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, haven't lost a game, which is the most insane thing if you really think about it. Yep. Hundred yeah. percent. All right. Speaking of games and winning and loss is Waleed, Ryan, you guys are going head to head in the game. You Ryan, ready? I want Jeez. you to know I will drink your blood. You guys <laughs> you guys are two knowers of ball. So I wanted to do the NFC North, but I don't think I could have gotten you guys to think long and hard about a division that we know so well. Yeah. So we're going to play the game. Uh, We're going to do the NFC South this week. Okay. Uh, NFC South. Okay. Five rounds, four of which are head-to-head. The last one you'll work collaboratively. Okay. Question one. The NFC South quarterback with the most passing yards in the division plays for which team? Ryan. It's got to be Carolina. Okay, Waleed. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. You are both incorrect. Is it Carr? Ryan was not a big enough believer in Derek Carr on that one. Wow. I did not believe it. I thought well, I, I thought, thought ba- I, I thought Baker Baked. Yeah. Well, how did you guess that, Carolina? Carolina was last on my list. Well, I thought the connection with Thielen, you know. Uh, you know what? I guess there have been some yards there. All right, this one we is not. We all acknowledge t- that Atlanta was never a contender, though. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. All right, uh, which running back leads this division in receiving touchdowns? Waleed. I'm going to go Rashad White. Ryan. I am going to go. Tyler Algier. It is Bijan Robinson. Was you are it? Both, what? You are it's both Bijan. incorrect. Bijan with two. Obviously, we are not knowers of ball. Like, because oh, I, 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 no, I, w- I, I wouldn't think... even consider Bijan. I thought Allen Robinson might have been the, or not, um, not Alvin Kamara might have been the guy. Sure. How does so? What was Algiers like? Most were like receiving touchdowns then. Well, Algiers been getting rushing touchdowns. He hasn't caught yeah, the ball. Bijan's were... had a couple of receiving touchdowns. I've seen it, but yeah. I, I just assumed Rashad White. Rashad White's been one of the best receiving backs in football. So I just kind of thought Tony was trying to trick me. To going away from Alvin Kamara. Question three. One defense in this division allows the fewest receptions, yards, and touchdowns to opposing receivers. Which team is it? Ryan. Atlanta. Okay. Waleed. Saints. You are both incorrect. It is the Carolina Panthers. Are you kidding me? I was thinking the Panthers, but I didn't really... I. Oh, you know what? I should have done that just because, like, yeah, they give up the most rushing yards. It makes sense. You don't need to throw to their receivers. I am pitching a shutout. Let's go. Question four. This quarterback is the only one in in the division to have a play-action pass rate of over 25%. Waleed. Baker. Ryan. Quarterback play-action percentage of what? Over Over 25%. 25%. Screw it. I'm going back to Carr. 
It is Baker Mayfield. Waleed is correct. Oh, I, I, my God. I got that one quickly because I knew it because Baker has been kicking ass on play action. I, that was oh. All right. I got one. All right. Number five, you are working together on this one. In, oh, yeah. full, in full PPR, you guys need to name the top five NFC South running backs in terms of total points. Not in order, just the top five. It's 100% going to be Rashad White. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ryan, do you well, agree? So. We got to get five right, Wally. Yeah, so that's... I think I think Rashad White, so... Alvin Kamara, full PPR. I think those it's got to be both of them. Kamara, and then I would think Bijan and Algier, right? I definitely, I definitely want to go Bijan. Let's see what else it could be. Um, full PPR, top five running backs. Yeah, I kind of think any... it has to be Algier. LG. Well, Tony might be throw. Is is it anyone from Carolina? I don't think so. No, Hub, Hub, there's no. Well, it's in the division, so I mean, we're basically trying to figure out the top five running backs fantasy wise in the division. I think Bijan, Kamara, right, right. Rashad White are no brainers. Uh, it, I mean, if it's anyone in Carolina, it's Chuba Hubbard. But That's true. So that that would be that would be number five then, right? So yeah. Oh, do we want to do that as our top five? All right. Are you locking it in? Yeah, we'll lock it in. You guys are correct. Oh, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well done. Uh, yeah. Rashad White, Bijan Robinson, Alvin Kamara, Tyler Algier, and Chuba Hubbard are the top five NFC South running backs in terms of total fantasy points in PPR. I, I know I knew I knew it had to be Chuba if it was gonna be someone from Carolina because I have Miles Sanders rostered in too many places. <laughs> I, I thought I was gonna get you with that because Sanders played for, you know, a two thirds of the year so far. So he did, but he didn't do shit in it and he didn't really catch anything. And Hubbard, when he played, has actually done like more. Right. All right. Yeah. So that's the game. Thanks, you guys, for playing. Super fun. Um, I'm yeah, the winner here. Us. I'm the Schwab. You've been stumped. All right. Yeah. Ryan, why don't we take a trip? All right, Tony. We can cue up the banjo music for this one because we're going south again. Here we go. Are we're we visiting going... gentlemen? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it actually it actually worked out that uh when i was doing this and like everything just like came together for some weird reason so we're going to the city where texas tech is located we are going to lubbock texas there we go all right sister city uh mushashino japan okay um was named after francis lubbock uh, a governor of texas during the civil war the city was founded in 1876. As I said before, it is host to Texas Tech University. This city, obviously, being in North Texas, it's in the Texas Panhandle. So it's north of Amarillo and Dallas. Um, you know, basically, it's like on the same parallel as like Oklahoma City or Tulsa, since it's in okay. that Panhandle. So naturally, it has a lot of ranching and cowboy history. This is where the National Ranching Museum is. It is located in Lubbock. Sure. They have a building. Their tallest building is 274 feet. It's the Great Plains. <laughs> it's it's the it's the Great Plains Life Building. All right. 
1970, there was an F5 tornado that went straight through the town. All right. This is great. 20, 26 people died. All right. And this Great Lakes, Great Plains Life Building, like I said, is 274 feet tall, still stands to this day. It is believed to have been the tallest building ever to survive a direct hit by an F5 tornado. Wow. Obviously, it needed, you know, some new windows and some stuff restoration. After it was yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it survived and it still stands to this day. Do you guys, oh, so yeah, do you guys remember Texas Instruments? Like the TI 89s yeah. or all the calculators, computers, all the yeah. calculators we did. So Texas Instruments actually started out as like a big computer maker um, before like IBM and stuff in the, in the late 70s when okay. IBM was just getting its. Uh, grounds going and that's where Texas Instruments was located in Lubbock, Texas Um, obviously after getting blown out of the water by IBM and uh, other computer competitors they focused on making their calculators which we all had in the late 90s early 2000s the Lubbock area is the largest contiguous cotton growing region in the world they in the world they grow more cotton there than anyone in the world Let's see. They have the National Cowboy Symposium and Celebration is held every year in September. Uh, they have a chuck wagon cook-off, a horse parade, um, and they just generally uh, showcase history of like the Old West. Okay. They also do uh, like a cowboy festival as well. Let's see. Oh, oh story. All right. So. We all know Roswell, New Mexico. That was what, Tony, 47? Um, something like right. that, right? was like one of the first big like UFO alien things that was like first reported and where UFOs kind of got to start. But um, Roswell, New Mexico is located, I don't know, it's within a couple hundred miles of Lubbock. In August of 1951, a V-shaped formation of lights was seen over the city. This was dubbed as the Lubbock Lights, a series of sightings received national publicity and is regarded as the first great UFO case outside of Roswell. The sightings were considered credible because they were witnessed by several respected professors at Texas Tech University and were photographed by a Texas Tech student. We all know Project Blue Book was the United States Air Force official investigation on uh on ufo mysteries which was carried out after roswell and in the 50s they concluded that the photographs were not a hoax and were actually genuine objects but the united states air force dismissed the ufos as being either night flying moths or a type of bird called a plover reflected in the night by the glow of the new lubbock city streetlights. so they're just covering it up <laughs> uh, yeah right it's like we know we know your professors, but those are probably just birds. Right, right. Um, we know how the government see. feels about academia. Right, right. Um, John Denver was not born here, but he actually got his start as a street musician in the streets of Lubbock because uh, he went to Texas Tech because his father uh, was uh, in the Air Force, and up until the '90s, there was a big like Air Force base right outside Lubbock. And that's where okay. John Denver's dad was uh, stationed. Sure. Um, 
Rocky Mountain High. Always. Uh, another interesting thing about thing about this place, and Tony and his grandfather will like this. Um, it's home to the Silent Wings Museum, and it features photos and artifacts from World War II glider pilots. Can I tell you something funny? When my grandpa turned 90 years old, by the way, he's 102, still kicking. I'm gonna see him tomorrow. Um, That's awesome. He, when he turned 90, my mom was like, "Do you want to go to one of those like World War II memorials and do all this, whatever?" And he's like, "No, I didn't do any of that shit. I was in Burma. I was a glider mechanic. Which, by the way, shout out to my grandpa for being a mechanic on a plane with no engine. Um, Great. And so for his 90th birthday, he he was like, "I want to go to this museum in Lubbock, Texas." So uh, we went to that museum in Lubbock, Texas, and. My grandpa walked in swinging fucking dicks. Like, you walk into a place that is a museum of the shit that you did, so you're part of the history that this museum, like, represents. They were like, the curator, I barely got to talk to my grandpa. The curator was just like, oh my god, what's this? What's this? Holy shit, talk about this. My grandpa gave him some stuff to donate. It was fucking awesome. That sounds awesome. It was really cool. We had a great time. So um, when I was when I was researching this episode and I saw that I was like, holy shit! I, everything just molds into one. Yep. Uh, yeah, I I've been there and it was fucking awesome. And like he just told us stories. They like they took down the ropes and let us like stand inside one of the planes. It was fucking rad. Hell yeah! So really quick, we'll go over some people who have history. Um, to this town, but yeah. ne- weren't necessarily born there. Um, really quick, Cheryl Swoops, uh, oh, former she- WNBA player. Yeah, she was uh, awesome. She actually she went to Texas Tech and won the championship with them in 1993 for women's basketball. Damn. Um, they have the Lubbock Renegades. Renegades, they're a defunct arena football team. Okay. As I said, oh yeah, I already mentioned Don Dever. All right, so let's let's talk about some people that are actually from Lubbock, Texas. Really, let's quick, go. All right, yeah. All right, so we've got Jill Goodacre, uh, former Victoria's Secret model in the '80s and '90s, who is also the wife to Harry Connick Jr. Okay. Uh, they they actually met on the set of the film Memphis Belle, one of my all time favorite airplane war movies. Remember okay. that movie, Tony? Yeah, sure do. Um, we've got Mac Davis, a famous country singer who also wrote many of Elvis's famous hits. Oh, if you, yeah, he, Elvis, you know, wrote a lot of his stuff in his early career, but as he got further into his career and started doing drugs and being part of fame and stuff, people started writing songs for him. So can't remember i should have wrote this down which ones they were but it was at least a handful of some of his most famous songs that this guy wrote for elvis yeah we've got natalie moines of the dixie chicks or i guess they're just called the chicks now yeah she's from lubbock uh we've got anthony lynn former head coach of the la chargers okay We've got Ron Reeves, uh, former Houston Oilers, 10th round, 1982 draft pick. Okay. We've got uh, Ryan Tannehill is from Lubbock, Texas. Hey! We're back for the Titans right now. There you go. But he couldn't point it out on the map. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
He was pointing at Nashville. Yeah. Uh, we've got Trey Young, a great basketball player for the Atlanta Hawks right now. Oh, Their yeah. star player. Yep. Uh, we've got Josh Young, uh, plays for the Texas Rangers. He was a rookie either this year or last year and, you know, made it to the World Series this year. Uh, he's from okay. Lubbock, Texas. Guys, we've got Patrick Mahomes is from Lubbock, Texas. No shit. All right. Yep. Uh, and to round this out, because there's not too many crazy famous people from this place, but Buddy Holly, the inventor of rock and roll, is oh. from Lubbock, Texas. All right. Damn. So, like I said, it is the birthplace of Buddy Holly. After he died, the city of Lubbock uh, created a musical cultural center for him, which still is active to this day. So it's called, what is it called? Yeah, it's, it's called the Buddy Holly Music Center. And they, they, they do festivals and stuff like throughout the year. And they have, you know, the local wind ensemble concerts and stuff. Anything to do with music in that city is, is done at this, at this center. But get this, all right? So in like the 90s, uh, the widow of Buddy Holly increased the, the weight, the usage fees to like use his name. Uh, so the city of Lubbock changed the name of the Buddy Holly Music Festival to the Lubbock Music Festival so they didn't have to pay him anymore. <laughs> so, so the widow got super pissed and they settled on something out of court where uh, the city now pays Buddy Holly's widow $20,000 a year to maintain um, the use of his name for their Buddy Holly Music Center, but they still don't call the music festival the Buddy Holly Music Festival. It's now the Lubbock Music Festival. Wow. That's just dumb. Yeah, so they, so basically the city's like, I, it, it was a, you can read about it. It was, it was bullshit, you know? It, it sounds so stupid. And like, and then they were just like, well, fine, we'll pay you $20,000 a year to do whatever. And the widow was probably like, fine, my husband invented rock and roll. I'm making money till I die anyway. So Right, right. But that is the city of Lubbock, Texas. Uh, birthplace of Patrick Mahomes, Buddy Holly, Ryan Tannehill. Got some football history with Texas Tech. It also, Texas Tech was the game of the 77 punts. That's how it ties in too. And uh, let's not forget that you brought up Patrick Mahomes, who is a winner of the Hickok belt. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. It's all flown together. Yeah, this there episode tied together real nice. Uh, I want to yeah. point out one guy that I found from Lubbock that needs to get talked about. His name is Greg Minton. He's a baseball player. Okay. He had an injury in 1979 before uh, about halfway through his career. And he didn't have a high leg kick anymore, so he like had a weird delivery that gave him a sinker that went 92 miles an hour. A 92 mile an hour sinker? Oh my god! Uh, he went. He was a reliever. He went three full seasons and pitched 269 and a third innings without allowing a home run. Oh my god, that's insane! Yep, that is the longest such streak for the period in which game by game data is available, which is since 1904. Holy crap! August 14th, 1986, Minton gave up the last of Pete Rose's career hits. Really? Yep. And then, uh, so I just want to point out too, hilariously, his nickname is Moon Man. And this stemmed from, I'm reading directly off Wikipedia, Minton's nickname Moon Man stemmed from various escapades, such as the hijacking of the team bus 
and the flooding of a minor league ballpark so he could leave Amarillo one day early at the end of the season. Wow. So that's that's commitment to the bit. Shout out to Greg Minton and and Lubbock, Texas. So yeah. Walid, thank you for joining us for episode one of seven. Yeah. Dude, thank you for having Hell me. Yeah. This was real fun. Yeah, this was a great episode. Um we'll be yeah, back next episode. week. I don't know what the hell next week's gonna look like. It's gonna be weird with Thanksgiving. So I'm assuming that you won't hear us until after Thanksgiving. So I hope your Thanksgiving is great. Yeah, happy turkey day, everyone. Yeah. Bobble. Um, who is the player before we go? Who is the player that is on a vast majority of the large tournament winnings this week in DFS? Mm, let's see. Hawkinson. Okay. I mean that. Yeah, I'd have to say that too. That's pretty chalk. But I was trying to think of like a, you know what, sleeper guy. Tony, screw it. It's gonna be a chain. Okay. It might. It might be. I don't yeah. mind it. I don't mind it. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have a great break. Enjoy the games on Sunday. Hell yeah. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night guys.